We're back at the Vicarage. I'm Roz. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society. This is Amanda. Hi. Uh, we're in her Vicarage, which today has got a new visitor who, who may want to be part of the podcast. There's a, a parakeet in the cage just behind us. So if you hear a strange squawk, uh, it's not that we've been outraged by anything that we've read. It is the parakeet wanting to join in the conversation. So this week, we've been reading Why the Reformation Still Matters by Mike Reeves and Tim Chester. Amanda, I think when we first discussed that we were going to read this book, you had a different book in your mind that you thought it was going to be. Yes, there was a much shorter book by Mike Reeves, which has, uh, I know, gone out to lots and lots of churches, very accessible, with pictures, which I thought we were going to be looking at. And I thought that will be a doddle to uh, get my head round and I'll really enjoy that. Yeah, so the book we've read is, isn't that, although I, I do recommend uh, Freedom Movement as a, a very short introduction to the Reformation. But, but what we've read is slightly more substantial than that. It is still written for lay people. It's not presuming that you're a theology student, that you have a lot of background in history or, or those sort yeah. of things. It is It is more stretching than most of the books I have read recently though this is the sort of book I would have read when I was a sort of keen student or uh, in my 20s when I had uh, I was thinking through lots of theological issues which I've tended not to do so much um, as I got older and more (laughs) uh, dealing with practical issues Uh, so it was stretching but uh i i actually quite enjoyed it being made to read this was quite good for me so thank Excellent. you Excellent. good uh, good i'm glad and there have been a lot of things this year unsurprisingly about the reformation um we've posted uh on our website a whole list of online resources and and books and so on that we'd recommend the bbc have done a whole series of programs about different aspects uh of the reformation so that there has been a, a sort of recognition that those events of 500 years ago were very significant and that this might be a good time for us to think about them a little bit more. I wondered how this reading this book maybe pushed or or stretched your thinking about what the Reformation was about in different ways. Yeah, I've, I guess I've sort of been familiar with the tenets of the Reformation for, for a while. Um, just my normal my keen reading in my 20s and Mm. and since um I think it was just uh what I enjoyed was getting into things in depth and understanding uh uh particularly uh, the the first chapter on justification uh that idea that the contrast of the reformation view of justification as a legal as a legal thing and completed and the catholic view of uh, more like a hospital that you get your justification and then you get better um, uh, rather than a declaration of of being completely justified. And I, I found that a really helpful illustration. So it was thinking through those things. And also uh, my 12-year-old son, who is also Rosie, your godson, Ros, yeah. um, is happening to do the Reformation at school. So I was I had a half-hour journey with him in the car one day and I was able to explain that to him and I thought that was there were very clear illustrations which I could explain to him yeah it's great I I, um, I agree very clear very precise there were in that chapter and, and two or three other chapters sort of tables just showing you the differences between uh, the Reformation understanding of something and a Catholic understanding of something or or even in the chapter on the sacraments a really helpful table showing you 
what were the things that, for example, Luther and Zwingli agreed on with respect to the Lord's Supper, and then where were the things they differed on. So, so those sort of summary sections, yeah. very, very helpful. One of the things I really liked about the book is that it doesn't just address what we might traditionally think of as, as Reformation doctrine. So it's not, for example, shaped around the five solas of the Reformation. You know, there are sort of, um, I don't know, 10 or 11 different chapters covering things like the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of sin, um, everyday life, um, and how uh, the reformers came to a new understanding of everyday life having value. Yeah. So for me, that was that was a very helpful thing in terms of pushing what we see as the ongoing impact of the Reformation, not just around that central truth of justification by faith alone, but actually that being worked out into a whole range of different doctrinal ideas and, and also practical ideas. Yes, and, and the sort of the way that they quote a lot from the, the reformers, I found that very refreshing to read little extracts from Luther and Calvin particularly. Um, yes, sort of, lots of primary sources. Yeah, lots yeah. of primary sources, which I really enjoyed because I, I have never read those, those authors and uh, it was quite an easy way to sort of connect them and, uh, and to be told some of those... The, uh, some of their illustrations even that they've used and I'm familiar with because they've been reinterpreted for me yes. and I've heard them before but I haven't realised that that's where they originated. Yes, I agree. I think it can be very daunting for people to to think I have to go away and, and read, I don't know, Luther on the, the bondage of the will or, or whatever mm. but actually to have a bit like this that shows you some of the reformers thinking in their own words but enables you to, to put that in a context and understand that was, yeah, very helpful, I think, yeah. um, to be able to do that. Um, were there any particular chapters where you were surprised or challenged or that, that particularly stood out to you as something uh, you hadn't thought of in that way before? Uh, I think one of the one of the chapters, I ha something I hadn't really thought about, this uh, the chapter on the theology of the cross. Yes, I uh, was very interested by that chapter which as well. Which was very much... Um, uh, was very encouraging actually for, for me um, our church is small often feels insignificant uh, we're battling with just a few people for gospel witness in, in, a, uh, in a deprived and um, chaotic um, yes. parish and uh, the idea that actually we have a th the theology of a cross that um yeah, God is known through the message of the cross and continues to be known through suffering and not yes. through glory, that we, we come to glory through suffering. And you know, at the end of this chapter, there's some brilliant lines about the future belongs to small, unassuming churches. I was very encouraged indeed. Absolutely. And that need for a theology of cross, the cross, of understanding suffering and uh, participating in it. Uh, and having a church which is prepared to do that. Yeah, I agree. I think um, we tend to think of the theology of the cross as the theology of salvation, which obviously it is. But actually, Luther's view of the theology of the cross was a theology of God's revelation. It was about mm. the doctrine of revelation uh, more than just the doctrine of salvation. So one of the sections that I read, imagine if we knew God through creation, well, the people who know him best would be those with the brains to understand the science of the universe. Or imagine we knew God through spiritual experience. The people who knew God would be those wealthy enough to spend time in contemplation. 
People will be able to say, I know God through my intelligence or my spirituality or my morality or my power. It would lead to pride and this pride would then obscure the glory and grace of God. But God determined that he would be known through suffering so that he would be hidden from all those who exalt themselves. And yeah, I had not thought of, uh, you know, I've thought of the cross as God's revelation of himself before. And we see his justice and his mercy and all those aspects of himself being revealed through the cross. But, but to understand that actually knowledge of God comes in a cruciform way through suffering that was a really new thought for me and, and a really helpful one, isn't it? When it when you yeah, put put that into the context of well, who knows God best? It, it is those who suffer most very often, isn't it? Yes, and he um point in, in this chapter there's a it highlights um Luther's thought about Psalm one one nine, which also yes. highlights that before I was afflicted I went astray, but now I keep your word. Yeah, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Yeah, yeah, very helpful, I thought. Um, I also enjoyed uh, very much the chapter on, uh, I forget what it's called now, I'm just flicking through, Everyday Life. Yes. Um, and so I was at a, a conference at the weekend where we were talking about uh, a number of these things and, and how uh, God values and God calls us to be Christians in our everyday life. And we were thinking about this a little bit last month in, in Liturgy of the Ordinary, weren't we? That yeah. that actually godliness is godliness in the everydayness of whatever it is we do in our lives. You know, it's being a godly mother or a godly washer-upper or a godly, you know, driving the kids to school or whatever it is. Um, and just to see how actually that was something that the reformers really developed that kind of thinking. Yes, L- Luther had this thing, didn't he, of you have our... Uh, two different words for his so- for social activity, station yes. and calling or vocation. So your stand and your behoof. And he, um, he says that our station, what we do, mm. is, tra- is made into a calling by faith. Yes. And as long as what we're doing is not against God with faith, it is actually our vocation. Exactly. And then so uh, he, there's, there's, there's some really helpful things about actually we are the priesthood of all believers and how actually we're doing God's will and serving God in whatever we do, whether it's sweeping the streets or uh, preaching to a huge congregation. Exactly. And that was very helpful and a really good reminder. When, when I, I was tweeting a little bit from the conference on Saturday about this and someone replied to me with just a lovely story illustrating exactly this of a chap who became a Christian who was a bouncer at a nightclub. And everyone, he said, everyone said to me, surely you're going to get a different job now and do something, I don't know, more Christian in some way. And his answer was, no, I just think God wants me to be a better bouncer. And it's a sort of lovely slogan, is it just be a better, whatever it is, be a more godly, more Christian, better, whatever it is that you do. And that's not to say, obviously, you should never change your job or change your station, but that God doesn't necessarily need you to yeah. in order to serve him better. Um, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed that chapter. You were talking earlier, Amanda, about the chapter on the church. and Yes, I, it, partly because it was uh, things that I hadn't really thought about in um, terms of the view of the church that I had, I'd never understood what the magisterial reformation <laughs> was before I'd heard the term, right. but I'd never quite got it. It was the idea that church and state 
much more bound up than the sort of uh, older yes. uh, Lutheran churches, Anglican church, and so on. And then um, actually understanding what, who the Anabaptists were, which also I had never quite got my head around. So that was quite interesting. But also that whole view of what the church is like, whether you have a, 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 an invisible church and an invisible church and a visible church at the same time you have a sort of gathered congregation some are believers some are not or whether you try and keep your congregation definitely as saved, pure as and pure as possible as it, yeah and i i've been in different churches uh, along the years um obviously I'm, i've mainly been an anglican but i've known people i've also been a member of churches which have been less of the sort of random gathering of some of whom may or may not be mm. believers and it was just very interesting to sort of think through those things. And, uh, but also uh, Luther's sort of uh, some great stuff about how actually the church is not perfect. So his view, I, I think I would subscribe more to the Lutheran view that church is never going to be full of perfect people. Um, and uh, there's the, 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 the old ditty, to dwell above with saints we love will be eternal glory, to dwell below with saints we know. Well, that's another story. And it was yeah. in, church, in, in parish ministry, you absolutely see that. Well, everyone in any church yes. sees that. But also the, the thoughts about church discipline were really thought-provoking. We don't really do it as Anglicans. No, and part of that is due to a, a misunderstanding of what church is. And if you mm. think church is something you can just kind of come and go to, and, uh, you know, if you don't like what's what there, well, you go and find somewhere else, then obviously yeah. you're never going to be willing to subject yourself to any kind of church discipline because you've not understood that that's part of, of what a church does. One of the things I wondered that possibly might be a weakness in the book is because it's looking at the sort of how does the Reformation still matter in quite general terms. So it's not why does the Reformation still matter to Anglicans or to Baptists or to Lutherans or whatever. Maybe some of those chapters, particularly things like the chapter on the church and the sacraments and, and those kind of things where there are differences amongst evangelicals, they, they're not quite able to follow the line through very... Yes, I, I felt that the writers didn't want to come too hard down on any line. It, yeah. it, was, it was quite... Dip, in, in a good way, really, I guess it was quite hard to discern where they personally were coming from, It although I think they're both free, free church. Well, Mike Reeves is an ordained... Anglican. Oh, is he? Okay, but, but I didn't know that. he teaches at Union School of Theology, yes, and obviously, okay. you know, that, that's not an Anglican so college. It was even-handedly done, but it did make me think, okay, as an Anglican, how would I work through, you know, church discipline? How would we work through the sacraments? And how would uh, exactly we, we address those things, especially as in the Anglican church, something like the sacraments, there would be a, a range of, of... Of views as well, yeah. exactly. And... Um, yeah, so there were moments where I just thought, oh, I, I sort of want there to be another two or three pages in this chapter going, yeah, just going down into some of those specifics a bit more. In general, so the book is called Why Does the Reformation Still Matter? Why, yeah, Why the Reformation Still Matters. Do we think it actually answered that title? Did, did you end the book with a really clear sense of, yes, this is why the Reformation still matters in the church today? Yeah, I, I guess I was thinking, I think that the Reformation does matter. and But I think um, our weakness in churches is often that we don't teach the detail of theology. People are not thinking on the level of how am I right with God, that sort of level that Luther was really wrestling with. Uh, and often in our churches, you know, we try, people are 
so far back almost in our culture now in who God is, what the Bible says, that they're maybe not driven to wrestle with those ideas. And it's something you sort of leave on the side yes. to, to deal with, you know, to deal with with the really keen people. But actually our congregations are maybe not engaging with that question of reformation yeah i agree i think it's one of the real weaknesses in the uk in certainly in anglican evangelical churches but i i suspect the same is true in other denominations as well is that we don't give a high priority to teaching doctrine or church history and and often those two things go together but i think that i do think that is a genuine weakness i think if we're not teaching doctrine and if we're not helping people to think systematically and, and doctrinally we're not actually then helping them deal with the pastoral issues and the ethical issues and and some of those um you know questions which actually are the ones that come up in ministry it's it's not often that I've had someone come to me and say Ros I'm really struggling and I just don't know what to do and can you just please sit down with me and look at you know Luke chapter 11 verses 3 to 4 because I don't know what they mean actually what you get is questions about I, you know, what should I do in this situation? And actually, our answers for those questions ought not to just be pragmatic. They ought to flow from our theology. And one of the things the book does well is show how a right theology affects yeah. every area of our life. Yes, the, the final chapter is very good on that, about uh, sort of bringing us basically back to the Westminster Confession, which springs out of Reformation theology, mm. that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that idea that we are to in, have joy in our salvation and in, in, in God himself. And actually that, that should spur us on. And I think people still have a more Catholic doctrine of trying to work hard for God. And we all fall back into it that we, yeah. that we want to yeah, yeah. work work hard so that God is happier with us. Yeah, but, and often that manifests itself in the, I've completely messed up, mm. and so how can I go to God? Mm. You know, surely I'm, you know, he can't want me anymore. Surely I can't do this anymore. Um, because we don't really understand the doctrines of grace and of justification. We're still in that mode of, yeah. you know, may, maybe God has saved me, but I now need to, to kind of work to keep earning his favour and and yeah and i think your point about church history as well i i've been surprised as we've been uh, doing a little bit of reformation uh, things in our sunday school and other places in in our church using the wonderful church society resources yes using the wonderful church freely society freely available to download resources. from the website very much enjoyed by our young people that people really don't haven't heard of luther don't know the name of thomas cranmer even in 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 our little church here and I'm sure that's the same in many churches around the country. So just to introduce these characters and encourage people to learn about yeah. the people who went before that and what they believed and what they thought was worth doing, you know. Absolutely. And so, I mean, a great place to, to start with that, if you're realising that your churches, people in your churches just don't know anything at all. I mean, actually, the booklet that, that we didn't read might be a really good thing to have because it, it is very accessible. It's much shorter. As Amanda says, it's got pictures. But just to kind of give people as a, okay, here's a, a starting point to understand a little bit of, of our church and where it's there. I just also noted a couple of other things that you might want to suggest to people in your churches who would be interested 
in thinking a bit more. So there's a great biography of Martin Luther. Here I stand. Yeah. Um, I've not written down the name of the author, but I, I'm I sure it, it's in it our John list. John Pollock. No, it's not. not. But there may be a John Pollock one. It's, I want to say Roland something. Oh, yes. Anyway, um, so you might want to start with that. There's also Claire Heath-White's little bit, First Wives Club, looking at some of the women in the Reformation. That That's a really easy read and a really great um, way of, of getting into a bit more of that history. Um, but also, you know, we were saying one of the things that was great about this book was getting a little bit more from the primary sources. Something like Luther's small catechism, you know, it's not a lot to read, but it's just an interesting insight into what were the things he thought was important and, and you know, beginning to, to understand them in their own yes. context. I, I'd also add to that uh, something that I've really been enjoying this October. Uh, every day has been, uh, there's been a, a very short three to five minute biography uh, of uh, one of the reformers it, uh, on the Desiring God uh, stream. Great. So if you go to their website, you'll find it. It's called Here We Stand. Uh, so you can get a daily mm. podcast and learn about all uh, lots of the different reformers and some of the things they were thinking and contending for, Lovely. which I found really stimulating. Lovely. And, and the other thing I, I want to mention is uh, Lee Gatiss's um, Explore book. So mm. the sort of um, Matthias Media Explore daily Bible reading notes, yeah. but he's edited uh, a section of that which their daily Bible reading notes with excerpts from some of the reformers helping you to see how they interpreted those passages. And, you know, they're, so they're set up for you to do in, you know, 10 or 15 minutes a day as your, your sort of daily devotional. And again, a really nice way into to some of the primary sources there. Um, one thing I, I was slightly disappointed, again, on the, because I thought, the title implied it was going to do this and then it didn't really was just the contemporary attempts to roll back the reformation and i guess one of the reasons why the reformation still matters i think is because there are still people trying to oppose the reformation or deny the reformation or or sort of reconcile around that and one of the things actually that that did come across really clearly in the book was the way it's possible for people to use the same word to mean two completely different things mm, justification, so justification being... or grace or some yeah. of those things and and we do see you know today the lutherans and the catholics for example working very very hard to find statements that they can both sign up to but actually, when you drill down a little bit, it's only because they both interpret those statements in completely different ways. And it's sort of masking disagreement with with a sort of false form of, of agreement. And yes, yeah. there, there's, there's an exploration of how purgatory is, can sort of seemingly be made um, palatable mm. uh, as a concept uh, in that chapter, in, yeah. the, in one of the chapters. Yeah. And... Yes, it would have been interesting to, to explore those issues maybe more. Um, certainly as Anglicans, we are seeing more uh, traditionally uh, Catholic uh, doctrine and practice uh, Yeah, and not even just in. doctrine and practice, but, you know, Roman Catholic theologians being invited to speak at, uh, you know, quite significant Central Anglican events and, and you know, this sort of... Um, yeah, rapprochement at that level. And so I guess one of the things I, I just want to say is I think the Reformation still matters because we are still in a situation where there are 
denominations and you know not just the roman catholics but certainly including the roman catholics which are not teaching a true gospel um and people's salvation depends on that um, yes and i think the thing i was really struck by the the enjoyment of salvation as well mm. assurance that comes with being justified by faith and, uh, and not by works being able to enjoy god here and now and not be always anxious that whether our we will be fit for heaven yeah uh, and yeah absolutely just all the the blessings of of the true gospel uh there which is not to say you know i people can be saved believing almost everything wrong if they're trusting in the lord jesus but there are so many blessings from from believing true doctrine and understanding uh, more fully and more accurately the riches of God's grace and and the blessings that He gives us that uh, we want to to promote that that true gospel and and the Reformation uh, was a great time for that to happen and and we certainly need, still need that today. Amanda, tell us what we're going to be doing next month. We're not oh, reviewing a book. Are I'm we? very excited next month. Roz has obtained a great goodie bag of uh, Christmas uh, books. Uh, for children and adults. Yes, and not all of them actually Christmas books, but books that you might want to put on your own wish list to be given at Christmas or things that you might want to give away at Christmas. Um, so we're going to just do a little review of a sort of... Are we, are we going to call it a Christmas gift guide? Yes, something like something that. Like that. Uh, so do join us at the beginning of December. Uh, just, you know, don't, don't do all your Christmas shopping now, is what I'm going to say, because you will want to add to your list after that episode. Great. Thanks, man. All right. Love you.